For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but they'll have everlasting life. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is upon you. Turn and believe the gospel. Jesus asked over 200 questions in his life, but only a handful of them did he ask more than once. Of that number, perhaps the simplest, most profound, yet most overlooked, is the question, do you believe? Martha said, I know my brother will rise again in the last day, in the resurrection, Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection. Do you believe this? Two blind men stumbled into the house that they heard Jesus was in. They said to him, Son of David, have mercy on us. We cannot see. He said, do you believe I can do this? Thomas said, unless I put my hand in his side, I won't believe. A week later, Jesus appears and quotes Thomas. said, reach out your hand. Stop doubting and believe. What did he mean? What did Paul mean when he said, we believe and therefore we speak? What did Peter mean when he said, even though you do not see him now, you believe with an indescribable joy? What do we mean when we say, I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, what do we mean when we say, I believe? Most of us, I think, are caught in the Father's predicament, which is why I chose Mark 9 for the day. He believes something or he wouldn't have come to Jesus. But he does not believe everything or he wouldn't have said, if you can. So Augustine says he believes, and yet he does not fully believe. He is caught in between what he partially believes and what he cannot fully believe. All of his life, his boy has been trapped by demons that have robbed his speech and made his boy deaf. This is the only life the man knows. And he hears that Jesus is in the area 
And so he'll take a shot. He comes up to Jesus and asks that his boy would be healed. And yet, as much as he wants his boy to be healed, he can't fully believe it will happen. Why? Because everything he has known up to now denies that. He has no frame of reference for that. And yet, he can't put it down. He can't walk away. He can't believe, but he can't quit believing. Now to the board. Are you with me? That's where you say yes. We said last week that the gospel appears in a narrative throughout the scripture. It does not start with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It clearly is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you left last week and you were saying, well, I can't believe you talked about the gospel without talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, understand when that comes in the story of the Bible, it's about three-fourths of the way through the movie. <laughs> so yeah, you can't start at the end of the movie. So far from saying that we cannot understand the gospel unless we understand the resurrection and death of Jesus Christ, I think I'd flip it and say you cannot understand the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ until you understand the narrative of the gospel. It is this narrative writ large. You still there? I'm thinking out loud. That's the problem. After the predicament is the announcement. The announcement. The announcement is followed by an awakening of some kind. And the awakening is followed by a change or a transformation. This, we said, was kind of the flow of the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament, macro and micro. If I add one word to the beginning of this and just say up here I would write creation, now I have the narrative of the entire scripture. In the beginning, God created. After that came the fall. After the fall comes a covenant. A covenant usually occurs in the form of a promise made to a person who later becomes a kind of person. Abraham hears the promise and becomes a tribe. Moses hears the promise and becomes a nation. The servant of the Lord hears the promise and he becomes a remnant and Jesus Christ carries the promise and he becomes a body, the church. That's where y'all come in. After the awakening in the form of a body comes a gradual or sometimes sudden change or transformation. At the end of time, when that transformation is both full and final, it becomes the consummation of all things. So there in front of me, while there are thousands of disqualifiers, and you'll find those later on, is a short way to see how the Bible flows. And it's a way for me to read stories 
in the Bible. Believe it or not, on the way north to see the baby get born, Lori and I were talking about this. Hmm, we got to get a life. One of those stories, one of my favorite stories is the time of famine. There was three and a half years. It has not rained. It is dry as a bone. And prophet Elijah hears from God that there will be rain. But for three and a half years, he has nothing in his frame of reference to liken this to, and so nobody believes it. Elijah's inside of his tent, says to the servant, go outside and look up in the sky. Tell me what you see. The man runs outside, looks up, comes back in and says, it is blue sky. Elijah says, really? Go look again. He does, comes back and says, nothing, still blue. Elijah says, can't be true. Go look again. This happens seven times until the servant comes back in the tent. And Elijah said, you see anything yet? And the servant said, I see a cloud in the sky the size of a man's fist, far in the horizon. (laughs) Elijah starts to chuckle, that's my version, and says, you better batten down the hatches and hitch up the chariots. You're about to get caught in the rain. And within hours, the sky is dark and there's a torrential downpour and the story is changed. That cloud in the sky the size of a man's fist is the sudden announcement. And when the man sees it, he knows for the first time something is going to happen. And in a few hours, it does. This becomes the way to read so many stories in the Bible. Let me unpack a couple of these things. Is that all right? Under the predicament, so we get clear about this, the predicament is a conflict or a struggle. It's a loss. It's a crisis. It's a deficiency. It's a hole that is inside of a person or a people, and it holds them back. Two things are clear of the predicament. One is that it always is accompanied with a loss of agency. Once you're in it, you cannot get out of it. There is nothing you can do when you're in captivity to bust yourself out. If you're in addiction or prison or loss or some deficiency, the answer cannot come from within you Because you are in the predicament. The second thing that is true of it is that there's a loss of awareness. You are so deep inside the problem that you cannot see reality when it presents itself. You're blind to it and you're deaf to it, so you can never see what reality is Because of what you think reality is. So you're lost in your own little world and you can't get out of it. Sometimes that predicament is 
outward like exile or oppression, and sometimes the predicament is inward like despair or confusion or loss. Are you still tracking? So the announcement must always come from the outside. It must always be something God can do because you are in the predicament. And when people hear the announcement, it is always, hmm, for want of a better way to say it. Pardon the, the word for some of you. It is, it is existential. What I mean is, the announcement is not just good theology. It's good news. And it's not just good advice. Here's what you need to do. It's good news. This is what God has done. And this is what God is doing. And this is what God is going to do. So it always comes from the outside. And it always feels like good news. This is why it's important to listen to somebody before we start announcing the good news. You're still tracking because you guys are quiet and I can't read you when you do this to me. I, you like thinking, are you sleeping? You ordering lunch, I can't tell. To say that Jesus is king and that's good news, it's good theology. But unless I think that's my problem, I'm not going to hear that as good news. To the stripper in town, true story, trained at age 14 to be a prostitute, when she puts her prayer request in a box, says, pray that I can be clean again. She is not asking to be forgiven. She's been forgiven all of her life. She's asking to be clean. She wants her innocence back. So I may walk into that person's life and say, Jesus died and he can forgive your sins. And she will say something like, how nice. But if I cannot bring her news that addresses her loss of innocence, the corruption that she feels, and I cannot anchor that in something outside of her life that God is already doing, she will not understand that is good news. Yes? So once they hear it, they begin to believe. And this is where I'll spend the rest of the day. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near turn and believe the gospel. Sometimes people turn before they believe and sometimes they believe before they turn but they always do both or they can't do either. When we turn from something we put down our agenda and our project. 
Everything that we think is important to us, we let it go. And so it is something like a death. But when we believe something, it's like a birth. Something that was up to this moment unthinkable suddenly settles in our souls and something new is conceived in us that wasn't there before and it grows and that belief starts to overtake our personalities and pretty soon it spills into our relationships and into our work. Those beliefs grow and they affect everything that we do. Sometimes we don't consciously will ourselves to do it. Sometimes it just happens. And we believe it so much that we could not stop believing it. So I went into the Old Testament to try to figure out why is it, God, that, that your people, starting with me, live so much of our lives between belief and unbelief. Why is it that we can hear you say things and we cannot let it sink in. Why can't we hear things with the same force with which you said them? I discovered this has always been the problem. Abraham is told your wife will have a child at age 90 and he falls over laughing. When God says something to you, there are a lot of things you can do. You probably shouldn't laugh. I mean, it's, it's possible, remember, that he knows things you don't know. And so you may respond in a number of ways, but laughing is not one of them. When Moses is told to go and lead the people of God, the first thing he says is, what if they don't believe me? And it turns out they didn't believe him. After miracle after miracle, they still don't believe him. When we get into the prophets, we start to understand why. In the prophets, belief is pictured as a form of deafness or blindness which changes the game entirely because it means that when we cannot believe, it is not always something voluntary. It is an involuntary problem. Isaiah says, ever hearing but never understanding. Ever seeing but never perceiving. And the reason we find out in Isaiah chapter 30 is because when the news is announced, their minds are already full of other things. So it has crowded out in them any space where that word from God could settle. So in Isaiah 30, they say, to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Get off of this path. Stay off of that thing. These are their words. Stop 
confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Here is the kind of people whose hearts and minds are so preoccupied by things they were trained to believe in their culture so that when the truth comes along, it appears to them either boring or offensive. They hear the prophet and they say to themselves, that is irrelevant, that is naive, that has nothing to do with what's important today, and they write it off. Or they hear the prophet and they say, that's offensive. How dare you say those things to us? And they, how do we put it? Cancel the prophet because the word of the prophet does not line up with the beliefs already in their heads. So here is a people that have insulated themselves in a chamber and then surrounded themselves with teachers who are saying only what they want to hear and they're excluding anyone from outside of that circle. Sounds a lot about what's happened in the last few years. This is why the act of believing is something that only God can do. And it's like the prophet said, it's like unstopping the ears or opening the eyes. I spent time this week watching videos of um, people that were born deaf and with the help of a cochlear implant. This is a powerful thing developed 50 years ago this year. The sensors on their skull can translate the signals into sounds and it goes right by all of the damaged part of the ear. And so people that could not hear anything their entire life finally start to hear. Joanne is 39, has never heard a thing in her life, not a single thing. And they hook up these implants, and the lady, the clinician that's doing it, all she does is just cite the days of the week. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, she gets to Wednesday, and this woman is already trembling. She is shaking, and then she starts to cry. Now she struggles, she says, with what she calls a library of sounds. It is everything from the sound of dogs to the sound of a teapot to the sound of children to the sound of cars. She doesn't know what to do with it, but her life is completely different. Joey is 29 years old from Texas, got spiral meningitis. A few weeks after that, entirely lost his hearing in one ear and half of it in the other, and they hook up the sensors, and he starts to laugh, but only for a moment, 
And then he is overcome with emotion when it dawns on him that what has just happened is going to change the rest of his life. He is overcome with emotion. Well, I'm watching about seven or eight of these different things, and they're all just shocked at the sound of the noise, and they are all overcome with emotion when they hear stuff for the first time. They know that their life is going to change, and I'm asking myself, does this still happen to us when we hear the word of God? Or have we told ourselves, I know that, I believe that, because the words make sense to me. In other words, are we able to understand what we hear when God says it? You see, we have turned belief into an assent, an intellectual agreement that what somebody says is true. But this misses so much of the power of belief in the Bible. When Abraham is told that he is going to be the father of nations, he goes outside, he looks to the sky and starts counting the stars and the Lord says to him, as many stars as you see, that's how many children will come from your body. He goes inside and believes and God considers that righteousness. So formative is that moment in the understanding of belief. It is picked up and used three more times in the New Testament. Romans, Galatians, and James. As if to say, if you want to know what it means to believe, look at what happened that night with Abe. As soon as he believes... He creates a sacrifice. He cuts the animal parts in half. He creates an aisle down the middle. And for the next four or five hours, fights off the vultures. Waits for God to appear. Late into the evening, while he is about to doze off, forcing himself to stay awake, he looks and God appears in the form of a blazing torch and a smoking fire pot. And God walks down the center of that aisle and bonds himself with Abraham in a covenant. From that moment forward, Abraham and God are indissolubly bound together in an agreement with what God has said. To believe is not simply to agree with it. It is to join oneself with God in the thing God has promised. So when we believe something, we give ourselves to it. We take chances. We discipline ourselves. We take up habits we didn't have before in order to bring our entire being into the promise that God has made. He will still have to do it, but we will start practicing that with our physical bodies. 
which is another problem. We hear so many people talk about how works or activity has nothing to do with salvation, but in fact, it has everything to do with salvation. If you read through the Gospels, you find every person who is believing Jesus in that moment is always doing something as an expression of that belief. They're never sitting idly by and saying, well, get to it. The leper is falling at his feet. The woman with an issue of blood is touching the hem of his garment. Four guys are peeling back the tiles on a roof. Peter is jumping out of the boat and trying to walk on water. Thomas is saying, let's go to Jerusalem and I'll die for you. And the thief on the cross, who is already going to die, is asking to be remembered. The one thing nobody is doing is sitting there idly waiting for God to keep his promise. One more time, when we believe God, it is not this disembodied, excarnate thing that is in our head. It is the activity of our entire body invested in the promise that God has made. Are you still there? Now the question. If you look on this board, you can see not only the story of people that you were trying to um, bring to Christ. I hope you will see your own life because it's up here. And for at least the first few, let me ask you some questions. Here, what did God intend when he made you? What did he have in mind? Paul said, I strive to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So why did Christ Jesus take hold of you? What's the picture on the fridge that he has of you when he's done? What is the nature of your dis-ease? What is your struggle your conflict, your loss, your deficiency. What has God done already? Or what did he promise to do? To change your predicament. What did he say that seems unthinkable to you? What would it mean for you to join in whatever God has promised to do? What would you have to do differently? What would you have to turn from? And what would you have to start doing? 